This is Indie Live Radio, Yes Group Spotlight. And this week, the spotlight is on Yes West Fife, who invited Leslie Ruddach to talk to them on the topic of what progress has there been since the Holyrood election. The Indie Live Radio team just want to say thank you very much to Yes West Fife and to Leslie Ruddock for letting us broadcast the audio from their meeting. Leslie talks for about half an hour, followed by a question and answer session. Welcome everybody to our meeting, our um, July meeting. I'm planning to just go straight in to welcome our guest speaker, Leslie Ruddock. Leslie needs no real introduction. Everybody, I think, is well aware of her as a prominent uh, independence advocate. Uh, she's a, a journalist and broadcaster, and she writes a weekly column for the National. Her views on the Nordic countries are well known. She's a presenter of films on various Nordic countries, Norway, Faroes, Iceland, Estonia, Finland, and uh, we'll maybe talk about her most recent podcast later on today because without any further ado, welcome Leslie, take it away. Well, what progress has there been since the election is the easy title of this uh, kind of effort. And to be honest with you, you know, this is not, this is not a kind of um, subject or anything. I don't think anybody particularly wants to have to tackle this because it feels a bit like we should be somewhere else. Um, It feels a bit now like we've been here so many times these are all the feelings that kind of come on you. A bit like, to be honest, I'm sitting looking at my washing on the line out there. It's meant to be summer. And I did put, you know, I'm just, it's the optimist in me. I put the washing out, started to rain. I just thought, do you know, I don't really need the stuff in. If it takes three days to dry, whatever, it's Scotland, you know, that's fine. And maybe that's the over overriding thing to say about this. A summer is composed of rainy days as well. And it's composed of days where it feels stuck. But actually, all the time, everything out there is growing. And that kind of is my thing at the moment. And forgive me for being perhaps a bit Pollyanna about life, but that's my outlook. You know, and when, I, when I've thought about it, prompted by today's title, it has actually made me realise that there's quietly been quite a lot of progress. It's just not the kind of leaves on the line that we're either used to or sort of expected to see. So... Um, just just looking through the, the kind of progress that you might have hoped for, well, there was that very outside, we hope, about Scotland, the football team, you know. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's just, just to weigh that one up in the great scheme of things. I mean, the first thing is uh, that team did bloody well, actually, in many respects, and that's what most people would concede. They acquitted themselves well, they're young, they're intense. You know, you saw John Robertson walking out there with a kind of look on him, like if anyone got in his way, he would malky them in a sort of footballing way. Um, you just realise this is a, a, a set of young guys now who have just got so much potential. So again, it's the same thing again. Okay, so they actually had the most famous draw ever in the history of football with a team which is now irritatingly gone on. So what's new? Um, and it's also the case, to, to be frank, that actually one thing... The, the thing that does annoy Scots perhaps more than our own team inspires is not so much the progress of the English team as the relentless nonsense that accompanies it in terms of commentary. I can remember looking at uh, at uh, racist allegations or experience in Scotland by English people in the aftermath of devolution. And, uh, well, actually, it was about 10 years after, because it was long enough for um, academics to have done some proper research into it after time being passed, had passed. And they discovered that, you know, the, the reports of anti-English racism in Scotland had really collapsed in number, except every four years. And every four years, the, the kind of the level of jip that English people would get and they identified it themselves, mostly because of the kind of 1966 stuff that was coming from commentators, not not even the English team. Um, that caused a little ripple before things generally sort of bedded down again. So, and the final thing to say is, quite honestly, the idea that a country would become independent because a football team does well, I mean, honest to the wee man, is that what we were ever depending on? I'm well aware that, it may not make sense, but actually seeing a team do well, of course, you identify so strongly with a team, uh, with our team, with the Scotland team, that you, you almost become one with them. 
you know, uh, when you're watching, that is the horrible glory of watching Scotland at football. And and so their, their failing um, does feel very much like a larger national one. It's very hard to confine it to just that it was one event, one sport, and and it's over. So I get all that. But on the other hand, we can't possibly be thinking that, that we're still at that level with Scottish independence, that we require that level of 90-minute hero pumped up bravado for people to basically have got enough, you know, Scotland football kind of prowess behind them that they make the leap to say that we could become an independent party and they're going to vote yes this time. I mean, I would be scared (laughs) if I thought that was the way that we we were still expecting to win. So, you know, it kind of swings and roundabouts. I know that the scene looks generally, it feels kind of negative. There was one poll that came in beneath 50%. There's been obviously division between SNP supporters and supporters of Alaba and the Greens, although I don't know that the division is so sort of, you know, kind of prominent. And that feels different. And um, obviously in this group, there will be people who support one or t'other and maybe some people who have kept their sort of distance from all leaders and political parties like myself and find themselves having to weave their way between them. And I am sick of that. (laughs) Um, I, I have no... Time particularly, I mean, I've got a lot of respect for anybody who goes through electoral press process, takes on the massive burdens of being first ministers and everything else. But I recognise that they therefore need to have, you know, hide like a rhinoceros. They need to have egos that are kind of uncontainable in one room and that parties are electoral machines, which are not very pleasant to watch close up. That's why, personally speaking, I've never joined one. So my expectations of parties have been relatively low and I've never been very disappointed, to be honest. And I, I, I really dislike being in the situation where if Nicola has done a good speech and has done a good bit of communication, I feel I can hardly say, point out the bleeding obvious anymore because somehow that will seem to suggest that I accept her entire narrative about our lack of narrative about independence and I'm completely happy to drift along until such time as she decides to kind of blow the whistle there there are kind of good moments and bad moments on pretty much every side around us um you could say the benefit might be we have more than one side at the moment given the the new parties but anyway I'll get on to that in a minute the election left the SNP one seat short of a working majority that feels like, you know, it, in that it might just have been possible on the face of it, that looks like a fail. And it's left us with a bit of a kind of, you know, so many of us feel that we put a sock in it for them, that we, we basically voted SNP, sometimes holding our noses, one and two, despite the lack of logic in it. And still, we just didn't quite get the ball over the line. So there's another bit of a downer. There has been no new independence case crafted yet that takes in Brexit and answers the stuff that most of us dread having to answer when it comes to any dealings with sceptics or broadcasters or Andrew Neil or no voters. Um, we haven't quite fitted the case about what the, pro- the prospect is with the border, with the currency. Um, and there's just been a sort of stasis in all of that. So that doesn't feel good either. And finally, we haven't got a Section 30 order request. I mean, apart from Angus Brendan McNeil, who quite obviously was not going to get a response of any kind whatsoever, but still decided to just lob that one over the fence since nobody else was. So that's kind of like on all the downside. But then when you start to just go through those one by one, you know, there's maybe just a slightly different uh, different kind of perspective on them. I mean, 50%, that opinion poll that I think was 48%, Yeah. So, you know, we've had one poll that's dipped beneath 50%. um, And to be honest, that is absolutely astonishing, really. I mean, again, this sounds like it's, you know, it's trying to make make a positive remark out of something that's kind of gloomy. But I mean, this 50% plus that's been reached during the whole long period of COVID and sitting still slightly beyond has been, let's face it, reached without any positive campaigning for independence at all by the SNP. And by the most appallingly fractious uh, inquiry between the two leaders you never wanted to see having to take one another on, that could have sunk lots of other campaigns completely. Um, 
So actually, to be still sitting hovering around 50% for independence is a bloody miracle, actually, in the circumstances. It tells you a lot of things. It talks of constancy. It talks of primacy. Um, it talks of people for whom, well, let's just take the result of my pal, Andy Whiteman, uh, who, as many of you will know, went to stand in the Highlands and Islands and tanked. Um, he got 3,000 odd votes. You need about 15,000 to be elected. That was a, you know, I've been trying, I've been trying to get in touch with Andy, no response. So he's, you know, he's pulled the plug for the wee while and that's really hit him. Uh, but the truth is that not even someone with Andy's reputation, not even an issue like land reform in, in the Highlands, is actually managing to, I was going to use the word Trump there, but you just can't use it anymore, was, was managing to overcome the biggest uh, binary divide for, for people in the Highlands as well, which is, are you yes or no? And, and again, um, there, is no, there are no fringe events in this gig. There is only one gig. There is only one issue. It keeps only being one issue. And the people who have assembled for independence have not buggered off. Um, they may be fighting amongst themselves. That's perhaps a bit inevitable as kind of troops are waiting to go somewhere. But the 50% have not dissipated or gone off onto other campaigns. Um, so we're still sitting in a kind of holding pattern. Um, the other thing is that uh, in, in the meantime and around that election, it became really clear to me, as somebody that you know, I suppose does get contacted by the media, that the, the narrative has just changed dramatically now uh, for, for pretty much everyone around Scotland. Um, uh, today, for example, I, uh, I'm constantly dealing with inquiries from the, the foreign press who all whose approach is all. Uh, we know there will be another independence referendum. We expect that there will be a vote for independence. So they're now doing big old documentaries to try and figure out what the heck's going on. That's their starting position. So this morning's conversation was with a Dutch broadcaster who's coming over to make two programmes in Scotland um, around the COP26 and is, is actually looking at the issue of energy as a good example of why Scottish independence has the support it has, since basically energy is run by London and, you know, we're sitting here awash with it, but unable to craft how we put together our energy offer. So these guys have sort of got the message in a way that really is was not there the last time around. Um, I know because around that time I was knocking around the Nordic countries and really, apart from people saying, well, who's got the oil? Is it you? Well, do. Um, apart from that no-brainer kind of outlook, people couldn't really see what the big deal was. Um, and Brexit changed that. It's a strange one because we might not break Brexit, to be really honest. It, did, you know, it wasn't the kind of thing that would emotionally pull a lot of Scots I can remember uh, an opinion poll before the Brexit vote that showed that Europe as an issue uh, came number two for England, English voters and number 11 for Scottish voters. So fundamentally, we sort of looked at it like if it ain't that broke, why fix it? There's mere, you know, there's bigger fish to fry. And Europe, you know, it's fine. It's mostly because it's not going to go anywhere, is it? Whereas for the English, this question of taking back control and establishing some primacy over their European sort of competitors and rivals had reached epic proportions that we just didn't understand. But the net of it is that Brexit put a great big, you know, saltire over Scotland going, we voted different. So the folk who never got it before on the continent and just thought, I don't know, what's, what's the problem for the Scots? They could see in an instant what the problem was <clears throat> because it was numbered. It was counted. It was 62%. You could say it. It wasn't just, you know, my opinion or your opinion. That's an objective reality. Every single council area voted without any great fandango, without a huge campaign, without even rating it as a big issue, Right. Every single council area in Scotland voted to remain, and that trend stopped absolutely at the border and changed to leave. Now, you know, there's many ways you can describe a nation or a country. One of them is definitely that it has coherence in those kinds of issues, which actually hardly needs to be policed. It doesn't need to be pumped up because it's in the voters, you know, already. 
So I think that has made a massive difference to perceptions of Scotland outside Scotland, if you like. Um, so much so that there was a group of, of young people, particularly, that got in touch who set up this Europe for Scotland campaign. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about it, but I was really quite blown away by, to, to my mind, their strange levels of interest <laughs> as as a German and Italian and English people living in England uh, in in Scotland's ability to move forward. But, I mean, some of the things people are saying is, is absolutely worth quoting. Um, lots of you, especially those of you of a generation, will know uh, Brian Eno, the Bowie collaborator and English musician. And he said, while well, he was signing this document, that calls on the EU to get off the fence and to make it clear to Scots that they have a way back into the EU and will be welcomed back in before the next referendum. So it just closes down all the bullshit that will inevitably happen. And these guys are completely wise to that. So Brian Eno's quote is, we English have left the European Union dragging Scots out with us. Those of us who think the project of a united Europe is critically important want to see it grow, not shrink. So I applaud the Scottish desire to be reunited with Europe. Um, Ian McEwan, famous novelist and screenwriter, <clears throat> said, it was England and Wales that voted to leave and a small faction of English MPs and donors who chose the precise and narrow terms of departure. At that point, the union of these islands was damaged and it falls to Scotland to take responsibility for its own future. Should it decide on independence, it will thrive within the EU as other small nations do. Leading figures in Brussels have promised the door will be open. Now is the time for them to hang out the welcome sign. I could go on. You know, the stuff that people came in with is just really moving because they get it. I mean, here's a German professor, Ulrike Gerot, who says, Scotland historically and culturally belongs to Europe, independent of the state formation it currently belongs to. This is why I signed this European solidarity appeal for Scotland. Finally, the Italian professor Alberto Alemano says, the EU must stand by the Scots who, like any other people of Europe, should be entitled to choose their future if it's no longer an option to be part of both the UK and the EU, it is not Scotland's fault. So I hope you kind of agree there that that is, um, you know, those are really stirring stuff. That's stirring stuff. And those people hadn't come through that thought process until Brexit had really clarified to them what was happening and that there is no escape for them. Because obviously the other difference there is has been the continual tanking of Labour south of the border and Keir Starmer. OK, they just managed to hand on, hang on to Batley and Spen by a whisker. But the prospect of Labour somehow coming to the rescue and providing a progressive alternative in, in, in England, uh, a progressive United Kingdom, it's not there. And, you know, people are not stupid. You see the numbers. You see Boris coming out with rub just utter rubbish after rubbish and see his opinion poll ratings rise. So, you know, there's, those things have been going on as well. And another thing that's changed since the election result is just the relentless, you know, performance of Boris Johnson. A lot of what's happening on the independence front is uh, facilitated by the behaviour of the Westminster government. Um, the SNP Alba Green kind of split is actually fairly normal in other countries. Uh, of course, we've not really moved fully into the space that having a proportional voting system would let us have. It's partly because it's a semi only a semi-proportional system. So um, it's been awkward. I'm not going to try and sort of, uh, you know, minimise the level of friction that exists now between SNP and Alaba people. Um, but it is what it is. Alba has given the SNP a kick up the arse. It might well uh, result in creating an SNP Green Coalition. That would be highly ironic. But sometimes that's what happens in life. Uh, people try to make space for themselves and they end up making space for a different kind of possibility for other people. So um, that might yet happen. You, could, you doubtless will want to come back to it. Uh, one seat short of a majority. Uh, you know, it's extraordinary. Uh, at the beginning, I had to write some, I was invited to write by the spectator. Can you believe it? On just this subject, um, because they felt there was a case to be made. Now, I don't know if it's just that, 
you know, diehard unionist supporters eventually want a kind of Christian thrown to the lions for a bit of fun because we just dance better. Um, it could have been that. But uh, it let me put the case that actually what happened the first time round with when the Edinburgh Agreement was created will never happen again. Because uh, the, the last time round, the unionists weren't warned. You know, the last time there was the, the run-up in the 2011 election, um, they didn't think the SNP was even going to win, never mind that independence was going to sit behind that door. So nobody was doing tactical voting. Nobody was, you know, arranging things such that Tories were quite prepared to vote for Labour and vice versa. They blooming know now. So um, there's no chance, actually, of reaching the heady heights that were, in, in any case, breaking the system practically. That ain't going to happen. Now, it's strange, but an awful lot of the media actually seem to get that. If you watch anyone being cross-examined on it, without an independent supporter having to put the point, someone will quite quickly say, but of course, there's a pro-independence majority in this parliament. You know, if you add the, the, the parties up, you know, like a dem democracy would do. And that's pretty strong, actually, because um, it's a good thing when actually, you, you know, our own arguments are not needing to be made constantly by us, but quite a lot of the commentariat in the middle have sort of got it. So I think they have got it and recognise that essentially the mandate is there and the rest is just prevarication. Um, no new case for the post-Brexit independence. That's true. It, it isn't there. Um, of course, that's the task that's been laid before Mike Russell. I don't know if he actually really thought he was going to retire or not, but I mean, by gum, he's definitely got, you know, a big old job for himself there. But his his aim is to have some campaigning um, issues for September for independent supporters to have tackled the three or four main policy problems. Not quite sure whether he thinks he can produce tablets of stone uh, which will not be discussed. I'm not quite sure whether the SNP conference will be a venue, you know, that old idea that you might actually put important policy changes in front of your conference. If I must say, if I was Nicola Sturgeon, I would certainly be wanting to do that because I can feel, you know, I think she can feel the pelters rising. Um, it would be a good thing. It would be a good thing to do, whether it's possible to put that kind of thing together before, what is it, mid-August, which again is a strange time for a conference since I think a lot of people will still be on holiday. You know, who knows? September. It's yeah. September. Is it? I thought it was August. Is it definitely September? Good. Okay, that's fine. Well, that's that is better then. I did wonder. So, you know, maybe something is coming out of the woodwork yet um, on that. Uh, and, uh, you know, that 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 would have to come. No Section 30. Sure. Uh, there's um, there's there's definitely, uh, you know, there's, there's there's aspects of this you can't gainsay in that um, Nicola is a hesitant person. I know there's a whole stack of different outlooks as to whether or not she's seriously aiming towards going for a Section 30 this Parliament or whether it's now getting positioned back off into another one. Um, I don't think independent supporters would forgive that. So I think actually that has to happen. And it's just now, if she may, observers may feel that since everybody has worn being led up the hill and back down again so often, why wouldn't it apply to this occasion too? just think it won't apply um you know i think personally speaking i'll be i would be quite ready then to be doing something different um than just kind of keeping your fingers crossed and pushing um however it is true obviously that every time uh, there's been even not a mention of independence the tories have managed to kind of weaponize that quite successfully um and there is the danger that whilst COVID is still lurking, um, it does look like, you know, to, to use that phrase that they will never stop uh, reciting. Um, there's a charge that the Scottish government is taking its eye off the ball. So um, and the point is here, whatever you think about Nicola Sturgeon, we've got her. You know, that's what we've got. There is no point trying to reimagine how things would be with anybody else at the helm because they aren't at the helm. It's a bit like, you know, it would be great if we were living in Scotland where it didn't rain like this every, you know, this is part of it now. We just have a woman who is, has got lots of strengths. And I mean, again, you don't need to be a complete card carrying SNP supporter to observe 
that that woman managed to get up every day during the whole COVID thing, managed to look presentable, wheel herself in, and sound like she was kind of a, a version of of your your sort of intelligent cousin and your auntie or some some kind of approachable expert you could believe in. Every day, there were days where I can remember getting stuck outside here, coming into the village I live in. An oil tanker was delivering oil to somebody's house. There was another guy in front of me. We'd both get out of the car just to see how long this this wait would be, and had sort of walked around the edges. It was it was the twelve fifteen radio kind of news conference. It was on in my radio. It was on in his car radio. It was on in the lorry's car radio. It was in the house radio. There was a moment where it was just this woman's voice was ringing out from every ert in this village, and they're by no means all independent supporters. So that is no mean feat. And however anyone tries to dice this and say, look at the moment, you know, I'm sitting to you from sunny North Fife, just over the kind of water from Dundee, which is now COVID central and has the worst COVID rate, apparently, in practically Europe right now. So it's not like it all makes sense. You know, it's not like we're saying we did a better job with COVID necessarily. It's that we just felt more held. We felt more governed, I would say. We felt more like there was any element of logic in it. We felt that we had people playing the way you'd expect them to do with one another. We looked and saw a kind of battery of experts, all of whom were world-leading experts able to articulate their thinking and broadly in agreement with one another. They weren't sir anybody. They weren't lord anybody. You, you, you trip over a health board chief in England, and you trip over a title. It's astonishing how they've all managed to become enti- you know, ti- entitled, literally entitled in the business of public health. But in Devi Sridhar, Linda Bold, a lassie from Aberdeen, whose name I keep forgetting, who's also brilliant, Steve Reicher, who I've learned to accept, pronounces his name Reicher, even though I think it should be Reicher. Um, <clears throat> that group, and of course, Jason Leach, who was just like, so reassuring, but kind of approachable. That's a class blooming set of people working together. And that's only the public facing bit we get behind the scenes. There's been, I've got an autoimmune condition. I have had a monthly blood test all the way through uh, this pandemic. It's worked perfectly well and the, the systems have have endured. So I don't know quite why COVID has changed so many Scots' perceptions of our own capacity, but the point was two governments were on display. Ours did better, fundamentally. Uh, It held its end up, and it felt like the beginnings of the kind of government that you wanted to see doing other things too. And that is not a small thing, which revolves very much around Nicola Sturgeon. So, you you know, Dems the breaks. You, You get the whole of her skills, her hesitancy, her approach, much of which in policy terms I don't agree with, but you get it in a oneer. You can't pull the wings off. You can't pull the wings off without damaging the hole. So that's the sort of situation we've got with that. And I suppose the final thing to say um, is that uh, the perception within the UK has also changed of Scotland. Uh, you'll have seen the opinion polls. There were done actually a huge opinion poll by, with about 5,000, 6,000 uh, respondents across the whole of the UK, which showed that 51% of people expect the, the union to be dead within 10 years. And about 54% felt the Scots should have a second independence referendum. So, you know, these, if, we, if, you'd, if, I'd, if I'd been saying we would be at this level a couple of years ago, I think people wouldn't quite have believed it. But there's a kind of, um, I, th- I, you know, I think with a lot of English people, um, they've looked at the situation where we didn't vote for Brexit, where we've been a bit more cautious and canny, where we've got resources that we can't exploit properly, where they know fine well we've been voting a different way for a social democracy, basically, for 100 years, where we've put... Um, public benefits before greed, where we didn't have COVID contracts going to chums. They've seen all of that stuff. Lots of people were tuning in to Nicola, not Boris, in England. And I think a lot of of English people are saying, well, do you know something? If I was Scottish, I'd be right out of here. And the irony is they probably would. 
you know, there is something, but then this is the thing again. It's this is us. It's not another set of people we're trying to get to become independent. It's us, right? So there's no point gurning about it, you know. I mean, I if we were all English, we wouldn't have even, you know, we wouldn't have voted no in 2014. I think the level of empowerment a lot of English people feel, strangely enough, and these are sweeping generalizations, because if they felt that good, there wouldn't have been such a big Brexit vote, but still. Uh, once you feel that you've been shortchanged, I think a lot more English people think we're out without worrying so much about where the pension's coming from, where their work's coming from. Uh, you know, all of that becomes subsidiary to the feeling that you're being used. Now, let's not get into whether or not that was accurate in Brexit. You know, really n- not so much. But this, this, the, <clears throat> the sensation of being used produced a very, very strong, unequivocal and fairly reckless response so i think put into our shoes a lot of those english voters would simply you know we wouldn't even be sitting here talking about it we'd be independent that would be it done deal so you know folk are looking at the scots and just thinking i mean it's a combination of for christ's sake just go i mean you know just being fed up hearing us always in the corners gurning about stuff um and second guessing and and a, a feeling of Okay, we see what your point is now, <clears throat> and in your place, we would certainly be 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 moving. Um, so I think that the thing is another just cut, tiny couple of things within that election. Some stunning results that got missed: Shetland. I mean, the Orkney and Shetland have been lived in for just you know practically living memory, and um, the candidate there, uh, Tom Wills. Uh, actually really closed down the the liberal majority. I mean, in another election, that's a real shout. And that's an incredible result because, that you know, in, in all projections there have been, even back in the stage where there was practically, well, in fact, they were very often the only non-SNP seat projected in many polls. That's how stalwartly liberal they were. Um, Dross, Douglas Ross, well, you know, he, he seems to have appealed to a lot of unionist voters in the election by sounding so utterly wooden and kind of incapable of being persuaded by anything that you could put him in a room with Nicola Sturgeon and he would still come out with the same old shite. And that seems to be what a lot of unionists wanted. They didn't want somebody like Anna Sarbar that might sit there and start listening. They just wanted a wooden fence post that was just primed to keep coming out with the same stuff because that's the kind of guy that's going to stand up for the union. That's what it comes to. But see, when you've got that job done, okay, so they got returned and, you know, Doogie got his cohort of Tory MSPs back with him. Well, then you're cursed with actually having to listen to him through everything and realise he's your guy. Um, So that has its own grating effect, uh, I think, because there's hardly a moment passes really that the way that he's presenting doesn't have quite a lot of aggravation around it. And the the test of the whole thing is about to happen now because he has backed Boris's unlocking. Um, If that proves to be the precipitate, reckless act that many fear it to be, then this time there's no get out. There's no, I didn't vote for Brexit. So these are not, you know, where everybody wants to be is at some definite signpost where we're basically out on the open hill, you know, the, the, the kind of lower slopes are behind us. We're out the forest, the midges have gone, the wind's in our face, and we actually know where we're going. We can see the high tops. We can see the destination. We're not there yet, um, but we're not in a bad place. So to my mind, you know, there's there's no other option for most of us. We're committed. It's the reason that despite the fact that uh, I think Spain is playing Italy, that even I might have had a marginal interest in, you know, people are still wanting to think, think about the future. So um, so I think I, I think we're in a in a in a good position to move forward, but this time the SNP have to understand there is absolutely no backsliding on this. Um you, of course, it's absolutely up to Nicola to choose when she thinks the time is right and the sequence of things that need to be dealt with first. Uh, but there's a backstop on it, which is this parliament. We're not going into another parliamentary setup without having asked for a Section 30 order and getting that ball rolling. So how that's done is past my pay grade, actually past all of us, to be really honest. Um, so... I'm holding my my powder dry, but absolutely, this is a time limited offer for now for for support for the SNP.
Thank you, Leslie, very much for, for that. Lots of points raised by you. Um, we're now at the point where we have um, time for some questions and discussion. Uh, we've got Ian Ferguson, Ian Munro. So we'll go with, I don't know who was first, but let's go with Ian Munro first. Yeah, Leslie, thanks. That was terrific. It's very inspiring, actually. And uh, I think more than anything else, it was hearing all these external perspectives outside the Scottish bubble um, with, with, with views that I hadn't really appreciated. You know, you were suggesting that the end of this parliament was the backstop for something happening in terms of an independence campaign. That came as a bit of a shock to me because everything that I've experienced up until now in, in actually helping with the SNP's campaign, although I'm not an insider, suggested that we'd be looking to have something happen in the next 18 months to two years. So to, to look at it maybe extending beyond that, I think would be very disappointing to, to, to many, many supporters. And does Ian Ferguson want to... Ian Ferguson, do you want to come in now? Thanks. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Arzi. That was great. Um, I love your podcast. It's a weekly highlight for me. And But the the Greens and the SNP talking to each other, um, I love the idea of that. Lots of people did give their second vote to the Greens, and that gives them lots of weight. And I'm not convinced the SNP has a Green enough voice to take lots of people with them. And I don't know whether you have any feel on that. Um, and the Green matters, and whether it's just that it's COP26 and it's in the it's there all the time. Um, and the SNP hasn't got enough to drag people along, but the Greens may. I saw Adam Tompkins speak in 2014, no, since then, about the renewable energy in Scotland and saying you need to keep the union going because the only place Scotland will be able to sell all its electricity will be into the UK market. And the audience just laughed. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> correctly. Um, so that's me. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you. Let me just work backwards through through these well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's far be it, far from it being kind of the only place we could sell our energy, being England. I mean, I, I know as a matter of fact that we've been carved out already of a huge project to create a North Sea Polo grid that would take uh, pretty much green energy from all the northern European countries um, by, 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 by cable from Iceland with its geothermal, Norway with its hydro, Scotland with its principally wind, um, and supply it to consumers uh, who are really wanting to have green energy sources, principally in Germany. Now, that project washes its face and has done since actually Alex, who was a real energy supremo, was leading the party. Um, so that that has not yet happened. And we will either be in or carved out of that project relatively soon. Uh, so, yeah. You know, we we actually just on that count alone, we need to get independence so that we get into these big ambitious projects that are waiting for us. Um, actually, it's entirely the other way round. We are currently supplying big, big style energy across the border that keeps the lights on in England. So, I mean, it's not just a question of it's Scotland's oil from the point of view of oil and the, you know, the exchequer, which it clearly does as well. But in, in actual delivery terms, it's the English who will have problems with their energy supply the second Scotland's able to charge for it. Ditto water. So, you know, this is just, just pal pal ugh, such nonsense. The Greens. Um, I wonder about all of this and uh, you, some of it, I, but some of it, let's, let's try to be um, optimistic. You could say that the reason um, that the Greens are being courted is to ease the legislative burden that arises when you have to keep going out and trying to find a posse for every bit of effort you're going to make. And that could suggest you're going to make quite a bit of legislative effort or, and or that you're trying to keep um, you, the rest of your core energy for doing something else uh, like independence. So you actually want to minimize the amount that you're having to run around creating ad hoc agreements on each piece of, it, of legislation by simply having the greens in the bag and having that bit done. So that's a kind of up upbeat version of what the motivation might be for the green arrangement. Um, Ian Ferguson, you're absolutely right. The SNP are not green enough. My God, right. 
I mean, I have many problems with going to physical SNP conferences. In fact, I haven't gone to one since I kind of stormed out of one, actually. Um, absolutely sick of saying for the fifth year running stuff that the party didn't seem to be doing much about, particularly on the land and local front. And whilst, you know, storming in and out, what was I passing but corporate, you know, kind of advertising for pretty much all of the oil sector, all of the big banking sector that just repeatedly keeps letting people down under the guise of mis-selling when these are things done by people with scripts. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the SNP is very much captured by corporate interests. And that's that's pretty shocking, I think. Um so that's the bigger problem for the Greens, actually, because that's a pretty that's a pretty inbuilt tendency of of the SNP over many years. Actually, is is not to have the sort of smallest beautiful outlook. There's some very big differences there. If the Greens uh, were to hold on to any of their fundamental ideals, uh, they're very very much at odds with the way the SNP operates. The Greens are also, to some people's minds, um, tediously democratic. Um, they they actually have conferences and and uh, mandation systems that really work, albeit not very many people on the ground. So uh, they have a conference that is chaotic, sometimes extremely boring and very inward looking. But nonetheless, it does actually place some constraints on on actors within the Greens. So I don't know that that's in the bag either. Um, another thing within it, Lorna Slater. I mean, there was a woman who came from nowhere and did pretty well in terms of her presentation during the election campaign on behalf of the Greens. I, I imagine Nicola looks at Lorna and sees a woman that she can work with. Uh, the Greens have also got the same sort of position on the gender, uh, the trans issue that the, that the SNP have got. I'm not saying anything at all about whether that's an up or a down. It's just that it's much the same. So there could be there could be probably a bit of a meeting of minds. But um, the Greens have been very, very wary about getting sucked in because the SNP is a leviathan in Scottish terms. Um, and it only is contemplating this by the look of it because of that one seat short bit. Um, and yes, I think you're, you're right that looking towards COP26, it certainly fits the bill more. And my God, the, the, the SNP have just got very, I have to say quite strongly, no idea actually how to be achieving a, a, a really green Scotland just it's to my mind, it's lamentable. So I don't I really have no inside track on that, though. They've kept themselves, you know, that sort of stuff very close to the ground. Um, on the time scale, well, absolutely. You know, I would hope it's the next 18 months. Um, but I mean, I'm not going to end up, you know, 18 months have just passed in some respects incredibly slowly and in other respects in the flash of an eye. So. I'm not really going to get start quibbling if it ends up being two years. The difficulty is this, that many people expect Boris Johnson is going to go a year early. Um, 2024 should be the next Westminster election. But all the signs are, he said it, he intends to repeal the Fixed Parliaments Act. And that would allow him to go a year early. That allows him to go before there's any danger of the COVID inquiry reporting and, and actually doing what Dominic Cummings was unable to do, and that is nail this guy to the wall. Um, so, and there's, there's various reasons. If they're on a bit of a roll, they've got the whole vaccine thing going, you know, they've reached the semi-finals of the World Cup. I mean, they, they may feel that there's good reason to try to just strike while the iron's hot. And, you know, Boris has that kind of um, gambler instinct. Now, if that's the case, if it's 2023 for a general election, you can't be leaving the second independence ref referendum till, till that year. You have to be going in 2022. So, you know, there's good reasons why it absolutely should not be the end of this parliament for safety reasons. And I think all of us would realise that if it did get bumped along to the end and then oops-a-daisy, uh, Boris basically bags the spot. Uh, I don't think that would that would be a get-out-of-jail-free card type <laughs> mistake to have made. I think people would see that as a deliberate stalling mechanism, a stall too far. So I agree with you. It needs to be really in the next 18 months. And yet I feel nothing <laughs> of the urge. No. I mean, I don't know what I would expect to feel in the ether if we were 18 months away. And of course, we probably aren't going to have a rerun of the last time round. We're 18 months out. We were in a campaign. You know, 
but but let's say as well, 18 months out, we were in a campaign where big issues had not been decided and were actually taken by Alex on his own. Things like the shared currency idea was not even a cabinet decision, as I understand it. You know, the rest of the cabinet were as stunned as everybody else to discover that was going to be the preferred idea. It was not discussed. It was not democratic. And we all just had to, as soon as it was announced, we all just had to hop hop in and try and make the best of it. So, um, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. 18 months, please, God, um, because that that's a reasonable timing. We're, we're with the COVID, you know, it's all over stuff coming from England. I mean, even Scotland's more cautious thing is going to bring some fairly substantial relaxations. We've managed to get through an election already within COVID. Um, you know, there's there's not good reasons now for beginning for, for keeping postponing this. So, yes, I agree. Thanks, Leslie. Uh, Jenny's got a question here, so I'll hand over to her and she can put her question. Not really a question. I would just like to echo Leslie's last sentence, because I really feel so strongly that the Yes Movement and the SNP need to start making the running now. Nobody will hand over the right to have another uh, independent referendum. And the thing that they need to say, the, the overarching thing for me is that Scotland will recover better from COVID as an independent country. That we know what Scotland needs. Uh, the only way we're going to have a, a good, guaranteed good future is to go for independence. And we need to recover from COVID as an independent country. Because the one thing that will be thrown at us, oh, you can't think about that just now, because COVID. Oh, no, because COVID. So we need to be ahead of that. We need to be saying it louder than the opposition. And we need to have the answers ready. But when they say, oh, no, you can't. Yeah, Jen Jenny, I just don't disagree with you. You know, I mean, what, what can we say? This is absolutely true. I, I am just not, I'm not, I'm not here trying to defend the, the rollout that Nicola has, uh, you know, is, is behind. But it, it's just one of these things. In life, I only direct my energy to things I can change. I, I spend a lot of time trying to map out how things could be in other countries so that people can kind of just look across and go, mm, right, okay. And it sort of gives you, you know, parallels and perhaps it's thought provoking. But when people raise things about, for example, the films I've done, the not being on the BBC, I don't waste a second's thought about that. That could rip me up inside if I if I spent time on it. I worked for them for 25 years. I never had a chance to do any of the kind of documentary work that's now being done by other people who had very, very visible roles in the independence campaign on the other side. But what's the point? So you're absolutely right. I'm just quiet. Well, quietly, I can, you know, I've said it in print and I would say it in print that there has to be a referendum this time around. It's the perfect timing. And some people may well think that the amount of priority given to COVID uh, has actually been reassuring to them because they've seen someone in the shape of Nicola with all the kind of possibilities dangling right in front of her. And she chose not to pluck any of them, but just chose the difficult task of keeping COVID on the road. Now, that's not aimed at us. It's the same way as a lot of advertising aimed at getting people to come to Scotland is not aimed at us. It's presenting a different kind of thing to people from a, from different backgrounds. So I'm quite prepared to cut her that amount of slack for here. The problem, obviously, is that there is no planning. And that's what would have stood everyone in good stead if before COVID had happened, there hadn't been so much just plain sailing and complacency and the hard work had been done in a democratic way then. But quite obviously, this that didn't happen. So what do you do with your energy now? Um, I'm, Yeah, I'm just not going to throw it on something I can't change. And I can't change Nicola. I can't change her being the leader of the SNP. I can't change her being the first minister that has actually switched a lot of people on to believing in Scotland. I can't change her sense of timing. I can't change the fact she's worked as a lawyer most of her life, so she's just innately cautious. I can't change the fact that she uh, doesn't share any kind of confidences or trust with anyone beyond her inner circle, which I think is reprehensible. There's none of this I can change, right? That's her already. So... 
You're absolutely right. COVID recovery is much better done by us. That's absolutely the logical conclusion of, of the kind of uh, bonus that was created through the COVID year, years that you would say at the end of it that this is, 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 can only be done properly by this kind of government. I think they have been saying it quietly. They just haven't been going out with 48-sheet billboards uh, ramming it down people's throats. Who knows, you know, whether whether they're going to move into some sort of better gear soon, but they definitely need to. Um, and that might well be by the time we get to September and the conference, that might actually be a pretty perfect launch pad for the next state of things. And if it isn't, we're pretty sunk. Thanks, Leslie. One thing I, I can maybe add in is that we must have the answer to the the point that will undoubtedly be made. How could we have coped with the furlough if we hadn't had money from the, the Exchequer, Bank of England, the Treasury? Uh, and we have to have the answer to that uh, in terms of our own currency. But um, that that will need to be uh, something that comes from the SNP, I think. Uh, I see Chris with his hand up, so uh, go go for it, Chris. Uh, so I'd start by saying um, thanks so much for everything that you do, Leslie. Um, you have been a personal inspiration. Ask Leslie a couple of things um, on the policy front. Has she had a chance to read in detail the report of Social Justice and Welfare, Welfare Fairness Commission and the report of the recent Climate Assembly? Um, both of those are likely to end up being essentially straitjackets for party policy over the next couple of years. And actually, if you read them, they're pretty ambitious, pretty progressive. You'd be, I would hope, very surprised by what's in them. I'd also ask, have you read what Michael Russell wrote in The National yesterday? Because he pretty much gave it both barrels to everybody yesterday and was very, very, very clear about we are having a referendum. There is no question about whether there's going to be any mucking about with Section 30 orders or anything like that. Scottish people instructed their government in May. The sovereign body in this nation instructed their government in May to hold a referendum by the end of this parliament. There's going to be one. End of. And, you know, I have a lot of reasons to complain about all sorts of things, but what Michael has been up to over the last couple of weeks since he's been appointed to the position he has, I am extremely impressed with and extremely hopeful that he will start to do the sort of stuff that everybody has been desperate for for years. I mean, I did actually speak to Mike, but the conversation we had was off the record, so I don't feel I could repeat it fairly. But that's why I just could only say that he has aims to have campaigning um, and a campaigning agenda by September. Um, so he obviously means business. Uh, I don't think a guy who was about to retire, um, well, who had retired, was going to come out of it for anything less than a real go. Uh, because what what tatters would you want to leave your reputation in that you actually came back to sort of gum a, a problem around a bit and then put it back down the way my cats put blooming mice, you know, <laughs> Um, so it would seem to me to make sense that way, but then it is a lot to expect one guy to reverse, you know, the difficulties that an entire party's had, which he's been a member of, you know, so one doesn't know quite which way that that's going to go. And thank you. I will have a look at what Mike uh, wrote. I was actually completely out of it yesterday, so we will have to have a proper look. The social justice thing that I can't remember the name of either and the Climate Assembly reporting. Well, that's great if the if the climate uh, the if the citizens' assembly's recommendations are being taken seriously, then that is great. There is one heck of a lot of work to do in terms of the lack of 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 groundwork. I mean, we are still in Scotland putting in gas mains today. You know, uh, that's the level of if you said if you like capture that's going on. Um, we have also not got a system where we have made it we have made the shift to district heating that has to happen appealing enough to get the investment in it that's waiting to happen. Um, and heating is an entirely devolved power. So heating could have been tackled a long, long time ago. And okay, fair enough, there's no point crying over sp spilt milk, but you know, an awful lot of the frameworks of thinking 
um, needed to make the big shifts. I just, I don't hear them. And I don't, I have, I need to hear an SNP minister say some of these very strong things and far more important than what I need to hear. The industries need to hear this because that governs their investments. And I've, I've spoken to people who are, who are active in the energy sphere in heating in particular and they say, you know, at the moment, what COVID's done is it's locked a lot of investment cash up. It's waiting to be used and spent and invested into something. Having a, a government-backed district heating system is almost like a series of bonds. It's not. It's going to give you a return. It ain't going any. No, you know, it's not going to go away on you, and it will always be needed. So um, that needs the, this to be words of one syllable from ministers who don't just say some nice furry people came up with kind of. I'd like to teach the world to sing and we're going to hum along the, the kind of chorus with them come the day. And I, I know I'm being dread. That's really not, I'm trying to characterize that as being the kind of critical look that the media generally has at something that comes out of a citizen assembly process, but it did get n- none of the profile that Ireland's seminal moment with abortion did. It got none of the buy-in from the rest of the public or media. So this needs the, the SNP to come right over the parapet and come out with some clear goals, not a fleet of 600 hydrogen-driven buses, but something far more practical to get a green revolution seriously happening here. So, you know, I, I'm still somewhat dubious about much of that. Uh, so any other uh, question? I see Elizabeth, Liz has got her hand up there. I had originally going to, going to ask Leslie just how confident she felt that Mike Russell would in fact come up with the goods because, you know, I, I'm, I'm an independent um, member who's just waiting patiently for that. To be honest, I thought we had a leadership who should be driving for this, this, the, the, this Section 30. I, I just want the leadership to be driving for this se- Section 30 and then letting me go out and knock on the doors. That's what I want to do. You know, but everyone who's going to be going to, to conference and Doing all that stuff, that's fine. It all has to be done. I appreciate that. Been there, done it, but no longer. But for every one of you, there are hundreds who just really want to go and knock on the doors and get on with the bloody job. But in the meantime, here we go again. This time, Mike Russell's name's against the guy who's going to get all this, get, you know, get the job done. We've got nothing on any of the subjects that we have to have the answers for. Your currency, climate change. Uh, all those the, the 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 big issues we're going to be right back where we were. We're, we've not moved we've not moved forward at all or it feels like that yeah but right you haven't moved forward and you i can see from your very demeanor you are a blooming bundle of energy girl right you know <laughs> you're you're wanting to get on it i mean you just like hod me actually back you want to get out there onto the doorsteps right the beauty of where we are is that without you lifting a finger the case for independence has got stronger. Now, I mean, this is a funny thing that, you know, so much of us, I'm the same, right? I don't know. I'm not trying to say, you know, what what your background is, but coming from a bit of a Presbyterian workaholic, whatever it is, background, I like to graph to see things come out the other end. That's the way I expect it to happen. And we will have to do it. We will have to graft. We understand graft, a lot of us. That is our natural home. But the weird thing that's happening here is that without doing any of that, partly because of how crap Boris Johnson's government is, movement has been happening despite the fact that we've not been able to go out and do anything. Now, that does not constitute no movement. You may not have moved. You may not have been jumping up and down tenement closes the way you want to, but that doesn't mean to say that there hasn't been a movement in people. And I think that a lot of folk now are completely detached from Westminster. They haven't yet come across to independence because no case has been made. But what has been done, and it's a bit of a double-staged thing, the cart has been detached from the horse. They don't believe in Westminster anymore as being a guiding light. So that's not, now I'm not saying that's not everything, but that's not nothing either. And it's not a bad place to be that folk have cantered up to the line on their own without being badgered by us. Let's just have to look at it this way because it's it's just what it is. We can't go around and change time. It's an ideal time for a campaign to begin, actually. That's true, what you've said, but that, that has happened by default or, or, or by yeah, the but... default of Boris Johnson or the situation we've been in. People, okay. have seen, people have seen the absolute 
you know, the, the brilliant way that, that the Scottish government have dealt with, or Scotland has dealt with the crisis. You know, we've seen that, the, the, the comparisons. But that's not going to help us on the doorstep when we need to move the other 50% over the line. Well, we're not we're not going to move 50% over the line, right? There's there's nobody in the history of aviation, not even Norway and Iceland that made it right. So and I know you know that. Um, you, and you're absolutely right. It does my head in that we are where we are in many respects, because there could have been so much work done if we'd had a different approach to governance. But unfortunately, the SNP is a very British party. It's very top down. It's very... Uh, it has a clutch of people with a lot of power at the top. The Scots, are unfortunately, have got a lot of British outlook, despite the fact that we don't want to, and despite the fact our electoral system changed. We expect leaders to do so much of the heavy lifting. Other places would have had a far more collegiate approach to problem solving, not here. But this is just what we've got. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm worried. Much as I kind of you know quite like Mike Russell and respect him, I, I have doubts about any one human being ever drafting anything on their own. You know, I mean, he's a smart enough guy, but he's not. He knows that uh, polling and numbers is not the be all and end all of stuff. So I, I, I appreciate that he I know that one of the three things he set himself to do by September was to absolutely go out and start reconnecting. But, you know, it's, it's whether where you put your energies, whether it is what you hoped would happen and what really would be better or whether you look at what we've got and whether you can take any kind of hope from the small movements that are happening. But I mean, if you actually thought you wanted to put the same motion through every branch of the SNP, it would just surely it would be not so difficult to use social media and you can do it in a really positive way. Just say, we want everybody to put in a resolution saying this, if you like, or I'll bloody call them about it in the national tomorrow and then get off your butts and do it. Right. <laughs> Um, but the same problems purport to the rest of the wider yes movement, because, you know, sadly, things that could have been a lot more constructive just haven't quite failed, haven't quite managed to sort of bite yet either. Um, so um, it's not like the movement's in such a brilliant place either in terms of having managed to use the time time to get some way to kind of connect with one another strongly. So uh, but we're all still there. And we're all still there in our, our different kind of groupings. Um, final thought um, is believe in Scotland not making any traction with, um, you know, branches. I thought they had done quite a lot of stuff with the National Yes Network. Um, well, Lynn has perhaps just gone away. Uh, she was she would be our link with the National Yes Network. Believe in Scotland are holding a meeting tonight, uh, a stakeholders meeting. And they are discussing much the same things as we are discussing here. Uh, they have done some polling and they know, they say, uh, why the, the polling has dropped to 48%. They know what is needed to bring it back up. And uh, they have uh, plans afoot uh, to start campaigning just as soon as it is possible without any backlash from those who feel that the COVID is, is too risky. Uh, so just as soon as they feel that the, the, the COVID restrictions uh, can be relaxed sufficiently, they will be starting campaigning. So Believe in Scotland are, uh, are working away. They've had billboards up for quite a while now, uh, electronic ones, and um, they're looking to arrange a day of action, but uh, the date of that is still to be fixed. There are other groups working too. Uh, there's, there's quite a, a network. Uh, you mentioned the National Yes Network. Uh, they have made contact with many, many yes groups across the country and, and other yes supporting groups uh, across the country. Uh, and they are uh, cooperating with the SIC and cooperating with the uh, Business for Scotland, Believe in Scotland as well. AUOB and now Scotland have got rallies planned. Commonweal has gone a bit quiet, but Craig Dale is uh, holding is having podcasts uh, regularly, um, uh, but there's not so much campaigning coming from Commonweal as there was at one time when Robert McAlpin was was the leader of it. I think it's, it's gone a bit quiet since he stood down. So yeah, there, there are groups working, but they're working rather separately and the coordination isn't as good as it maybe could be. 
I'm seeing that a lot of people are feeling that, that they have to go and have their their tea now. So, um, I mean that that's that's all true. I just think this kind of different functions that different parts of the movement will do. Um, I, I have a feeling that annoying as it is, um, and no matter how much energy people like believe in Scotland put into policy form formation and so on, people are still watching um, for the SNP. And it's it's maddening, but basically, I mean, I remember saying this to potentially Robin McAlpine, actually, that, you know, it's a bit like uh, you getting really fit to run a race. The irritating thing is it's not you that's in the race, it's Nicola. So it doesn't matter how fit you get, it's her, right? <laughs> and this is the difficulty with everybody else trying to do what the SNP is not doing, because it's, a, it's an instinct amongst us when we, it comes back to the getting the job done and the, the happiness of hard work, which you, you exhibit in spades, Liz. Um, but there's points where your energy cannot make up for the absence of energy from the leadership of the government of oh. the party that fucking supposed to want independence. So um, I'm not, it's great that uh, Gordon and people still have the energy to keep pushing away within Believe in Scotland, but um, they have not got the inside track. You know, they don't, I think don't even have the courtesy of any kind of guidelines as to what kind of campaign direction, time, length, any of that. You know, they're they're just sailing blind, as are we all. Mm. We can all put our policy ideas up and they will mean hee-haw compared to the moment that something proper comes from the SNP. So in that respect, I don't want Mike Russell organising me personally or any of the, the group. I want us to slightly get our own act together we will not be probably making policy. I just come back to the same boring point. We need a champion for independence on every street of Scotland. That's our job. Our job is to get that organized. That is not a small thing. It's not an impossible thing. We know how to do it. The act of it will be fun. That's what we should be doing. That's our dance space. The dance space of the SNP is to get the bloody policy together the timelines, the campaign, the saying the words thing that means the electorate believes you that this is going to happen and resolve the currency stuff. I would like to see them doing it in a groovier way that everyone in the Western world has embraced, where it isn't one guy in a sort of Perrier-filled room who sits and decides what huge subjects should be after speaking to a few of the little people. It's more of a worked through proposition. They could use the Citizens Assembly within the SNP to do it or within the Yes movement. How mind blowing would that be, right? But it's not going to happen because they ain't those kind of kids, right? They're just never going to be like that. So I am able to contain myself with happiness that Mike Russell is going to put something roughly sensible on the table. My hope, though, is that we get ourselves to the bit we need to do, which is just to bloody organize and God knows, I don't know how many millions of times we have to reinvent something till we get a set of people who only want to get organizational about this. But that, to my mind, is what has to happen. The end. Thank you so much, Leslie. Uh, you have uh, done more than uh, done your, your duty by us. Uh, thank you so much for, your, uh, for coming and for giving us all your wise thoughts. Uh, and I'm sure everybody would uh, join with me in giving you a round of applause, either uh, virtual or actual. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Indie Live Radio, and that was the latest of our Yes Group Spotlight series. We just want to say thank you again to Yes West Fife and to Leslie Rudder for agreeing to let us broadcast the audio of the meeting. The meeting itself happened on the 6th of July 2021. If your Yes Group has got an event coming up that you'd like to be featured in the Yes Group Spotlight, contact us via Indie Live Radio website.